following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. So as we've been looking at all the wonderful effects of the blood and powerful this morning, just kind of reviewing that, uh, 46 specific ways that the blood of Christ has benefited us. So powerful and so good to be reminded of that. And so now we come to this day of resurrection, and uh, surely there is nothing left to say about the blood. Right? We can finally, we're done with all that blood stuff, right? We can finally move on and get past the blood. Well, I hate to disappoint you, but there's one more. There's one more, right? Uh, We want to look uh, this morning at the eternal joy in the blood. Right? The eternal joy in the blood. Uh, We may think that the blood ends at the cross. But what we see in this passage, and as we will see as we look this morning, that um, that the blood of Jesus actually has eternal and permanent place throughout all eternity, throughout throughout heaven on the throne. And so we're not we're not done with looking at the blood. We need to look at the blood one more time, as we see its place in both the resurrection of Christ and how it is our eternal source of joy, our eternal source of joy. So. Let's look at those two things this morning and as we celebrate the resurrection. Um, and first thing that's uh, kind of crazy, and it may seem a little ironic, but actually Jesus was raised to new life by his own blood. Right? It, it, it is, and that was one of the things we actually said in the 50 reasons Jesus came to die. He came to die to effect his own resurrection. Right? So what does that mean? Right? Well, we read this in, in, uh, in the benediction of Hebrews 13, in verse 20, these remarkable words, The God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant. Or to kind of make it a little more smooth, we could, we could take out the, the shepherd piece and say, God brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus by the blood of the eternal covenant. Right? It is the very blood of Jesus shed on the cross that made the resurrection possible. Now you might think, well, you know, God is God. God can surely do whatever He wants. God did not need the blood of Jesus to, to raise Him from the dead. God's the author of life. Uh, God can make anything uh, live. Jesus said, if, uh, you know, if, if you don't praise me, these rocks will be raised up to, to, to cry out. God could turn stones into people if He wanted. Surely, uh, God could raise, raise Jesus from the dead uh, without the cross, right? Well, true, God, in a sense, can do anything he wants, but he can't go against his own character. We've kind of talked about this before. Uh, God is somewhat limited by the constraints of his own character. And he is a just and righteous God. He does all things according to his justice and and according to his own law, right? According to the way he created the universe. And uh, it was his justice, uh, his holiness that demanded a punishment for sin. Right? Sin could not go without judgment, without consequences. And the penalty of sin is what? Death. Right? The penalty of sin is death. Uh, when, God, uh, when God told Adam and Eve in the garden, uh, you can eat of all the trees, everything is yours except for this one tree. And if you eat of the fruit of that tree, if you disobey me, you will surely die. 
And what did Adam and Eve do? Were they content with the thousands of trees that were theirs? No, they got focused on the one, right? And uh, with the help of the serpent, they were tempted, and they, they rebelled against God, and they sinned by eating of that fruit, and they died. Now, of course, did they die instantly? Well, in one sense, yes, because they were separated from the presence of God, and that is spiritual death. But, of course, physical death for them took a lot longer, quite a lot longer for them, actually, but they died. And uh, with it came the curse of death upon all, all humankind. So we will all die. We are all under the curse of death. Galatians 3.10 says, For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Right, so we're under the curse because we cannot keep God's law. Uh, uh, not at all. right? And, and uh, to fail to keep God's moral commands, His righteous laws, His standards, is to bring on ourselves a curse. And that curse is death. Physical death from this body, and, and then eternal death, being separated from God. But you would say, yeah, but Jesus never sinned, right? So how is it Jesus is affected by this? He never sinned, and in fact, not only did he not sin, but he perfectly fulfilled the commands of God. Right? So there's not a single command, not a single instruction, not a single ordinance that Jesus did not keep and fulfill completely. He perfectly upheld the law of God. Um, but when he took upon himself um, a human body, when the eternal spirit who had been in heaven with the Father from all eternity past, when he united himself with the human body in the incarnation, at the birth um, of Jesus um, from Mary, uh, he took on a body that was subject to death just like ours. So even though he didn't sin... He was living in a body that, that was subject to death, as we know. Right? He could go to the cross, and he could be nailed there, and his body would die just like ours. Right? Um, and though he was not guilty of a single sin, and certainly under no curse or any wrong of his own, Scripture makes it very clear that he took upon himself our curse, our guilt, and our sin. Right? That's what the cross was about. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake God made him to be sin who knew no sin. That was Jesus. He made him to be sin who knew, so, who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Um, so then Jesus, by going to the cross, by taking our sin and our guilt upon himself and its punishment, put himself under the curse of sin and die taking the full penalty of our sin, both physical death as well as its spiritual implications. Right? He became cursed for us. And um, here's the deal. If his blood did not work, not only would it not work for you and I, it would not work for him. Right? Um, he knew it would work. <laughs> I'm convinced, right? He knew that his blood was sufficient. But the truth is the only way he could escape the grave was to break that curse through his own blood. Right. And so his death was uh, to break the curse of sin and death over us, but also for himself. So that the writer of Hebrews could say, So God brought our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, again from the dead 
by the blood of the eternal covenant. Right? So it is the very blood of Christ we see that makes the resurrection possible. Uh, so it's important, right? It's important. Even, in, even on Easter, we celebrate the resurrection because of the blood. Uh, but secondly, and I want to spend more time on this one, um, the blood of Jesus uh, we see in the throne room of heaven, this passage we're reading in Revelation chapter 7, uh, Jesus rose and he appeared to a lot of people for 40 days, 50 days, and then uh, he, uh, he ascended to heaven and he's now seated at the right hand of the Father. And so we see this scene in heaven in chapter 7 of these multitudes of people from every tribe and tongue and language dressed in white robes and seated on the throne is God and with him the Lamb, Jesus, right? Jesus the Lamb. And we see that this uh, is really the source of our eternal joy. So, so I want to look more, focus more on what this means, that Jesus' blood uh, is our never-ending joy. Uh, what does that mean, and how, is, how does that come about? Uh, C.S. Lewis says, uh, wrote somewhere, that joy is the serious business of heaven. <laughs> joy is the serious business of heaven. And you see that in this chapter. Right? Now, it doesn't use the word joy, uh, but we'll see in a minute that this is exactly what's going on. It is a celebration, a joyous celebration. Um, but before we look into the, the text here, uh, it's good to think a little bit about what, what is joy. When we think of eternal joy, especially, what, what exactly is that? What is joy and what would make it eternal? Um, I think joy could be defined... Uh, a lot of different ways, but maybe you could say joy is a deep sense of delight and satisfaction that comes from something beyond ourselves. Right? Joy is a steady and unwavering sense of peace that comes from knowing and experiencing the love of God. Because I'm kind of picking up on two key words there, delight and satisfaction. Right? Joy comes about when we're delighted about something. Or when we have the sense of kind of satisfaction or contentment. Um, uh, and to make it eternal uh, means that uh, this, this satisfaction, this delight, um, doesn't disappear. Right? Now I hope, I, hope, I hope at some point in your life you have experienced some sense of delight or satisfaction. Anybody at some point, like however fleeting, is somebody, have you guys all experienced some little satisfaction? I don't know, maybe a piece of chocolate or something? I don't know. Uh, something, right? It's like, oh, that's kind of delightful. There's some satisfaction in that, okay? Um, I hope so. And I hope you've, you've sensed this, this kind of sense of peace, of knowing kind of life is okay. I'm in a good place. I, ho- I hope you've experienced that, that joy. It's certainly something we pursue, right? To uh, have a, a life that's got more of this, right? But if you have experienced it, uh, and you've kind of got this place of contentment and peace, you know how quickly it can also disappear, right? It, it's, it's not enduring. It's not eternal. It doesn't last. Right? Has anybody here experienced something so, so hugely significant, so, so delightful, so satisfying, that nothing has ever robbed it? Probably not, right? If, if you are, I want to talk to you, because we need to bottle this, right? You can, you can make a lot of money out of this. Right? No, it, it, it disappears all too quickly. And, and one of the problems is that too much of our sense of delight and satisfaction 
is dependent on external things, right? Things outside of us. Uh, enough money, uh, the right house, the right car, uh, enough food or the right kind of food, the right kind of clothes, the right haircut. Well, that's not really a problem for me, but um, <laughs> hair, that would be a good one. Uh, let's just go there, hair. I would be satisfied with more hair. Uh, friends, you know, friends who are kind to me, who say nice things, who give me some recognition or some praise, or at the very least, at least are affirming, right? Affirming. Um, those are things that can be bring us to light. But we all know how quickly those things disappear, right? Um, how easy the right house quickly becomes just an old house, right? Uh, the, the things that satisfied us become boring, uh, the things we got so excited about when they were new get old and fall apart and break. Um, our friends sometimes say kind things to us. Sometimes they are affirming. And sometimes they are not, right? And they just say the wrong things or they ignore us or they are way too selfish. Why aren't they paying more attention to me, right? Of all the nerve, right? So, so we kind of had this idea, and in Christian circles we talk about this, that uh, the best kind of joy is joy that's not dependent on external things, right? That we have to find the sense of delight and satisfaction beyond externals because we can't always control those, right? And so uh, if, if it's going to last, if it's going to be eternal, it has to be an anchored in something that's not external, or at least it's not temporary. Or to put it a different way, in order to have lasting joy, we need better friends, <laughs> We need a better friend, one who's more attentive. And we need a better place to live, not a place where things are so temporary and where they break and where they disappear. Right? And of course, in chapter 7, we are in that kind of place with that kind of friend. Right? We are in heaven where nothing is temporary, where everything is eternal. And whatever you experience there, you never have to worry about it fading or disappearing. And there we find on the throne a different kind of friend, a shepherd, the Lamb of God who promises to shepherd the sheep. Right? Um, so, so this joy that is described in chapter 7 is an eternal joy because it will never diminish or fade, even though it actually is largely external. But it's external not in the temporary things of this world, but in the eternal, permanent things of heaven. And uh, I would like to just look at this a lot more in this passage. But I want to look at three, uh, three sources, if you will, three reasons of joy in this passage uh, that are eternal. The first is a permanent change in our circumstances. The second is an, an inexhaustibly good life. And the third is somebody to celebrate forever. So let's look first of all at this permanent change in circumstances. All right, let's kind of go back to the passage. We can dig into the passage now. Um, permanent change in circumstances. What do I mean by that? Well, I mean even the smallest and simplest things can become a source of great joy if it's the result of a change in circumstances. Right? So uh, here's some, just some simple examples. We all take sunshine and clear skies for granted until April in Thailand <laughs> when we have no sunshine and we have no blue sky. In fact, we have no sky at all. The sky's been erased. Right? We go out and it's just gone. 
It's gone, right? And uh, any other day of the year, we wouldn't think too much about the blue sky. But here, we hope and pray in, in a few weeks, maybe sometime in May, it will rain. And one morning, we're going to get up and we're going to go outside and the sky is going to come back. Hallelujah. Amen. And it's going to be a source of joy. You're going to go, whoa, wow, this is awesome. Blue sky and sunshine. There is a sky, right? And it's, it kind of brings you a sense of joy. Why? Because, uh, because there's something spectacular about blue sky? No, but because of the change of circumstances. Likewise, uh, you go into Big C, uh, I don't know too many people like jumping up and down for joy. Oh, Big C, I love Big C. Right? Most of us are like, eh, got to go shopping. But imagine if you had spent the last 30 years in prison with no freedom to go anywhere. And you experienced the freedom of being able to walk into Big C and buy something. Right? There would be joy. Joy in Big C. Why? Because of the change of circumstances, right? Um, I remember one time, uh, a long time ago, riding my bike across this 40-mile high alpine desert where there was nothing. There was just no towns, nothing. It was a long, long ride. And we finally made it all the way across to this little town, tiny little town, where there was this little hamburger stand. And I was so hot and so thirsty and so tired. And we pulled in. And uh, they had cherry limeades. I'd never heard before of a cherry limeade. What is a cherry limeade? I didn't know, but I was thirsty. And it came in this huge, ginormous cup. It was big. 78 ounces or something. Or 40s. I don't know. A lot of ounces. It was big. I was like, yeah, that's what I'm talking. And I remember drinking my first taste of this cherry limeade. And I thought, why have I never known about this before? This is the drink of angels and gods. Right? It was the best thing ever. Now, the sad thing is, and it brought me great joy and delight, I will say. Great joy and delight. But every time I go, after that, every time I would drive through there and I would stop at that same hamburger shop and get that cherry lime made, it never tasted the same. They just never made it as good. Or maybe it's just because it tasted so good on that day because of the change of circumstances, right? Well, uh, so we come to the... the Chapter uh, 7, verse 9. And here's a people, a group of people who have had an incredible change of circumstance. After this, I looked and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. And crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Right? So who are these people? Well, it's, it's uh, ultimately uh, the believers of all time. And uh, you know, d- don't get bogged down. It talks a little bit later about, this, uh, about the, tribula- the Great Tribulation. And uh, some people want to limit this group to only the martyrs who were martyred during the Tribulation. But uh, really he's talking here about all believers. Certainly the martyrs of the Tribulation are there. But this is a great multitude, unnumberable, innumerable from every tribe and tongue and language, clothed in, in, in uh, white robes. This is you and I if we put our faith in Christ. Right? One day we will be part of this crowd. and We will be standing before the throne, before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, holding, an olive, uh, holding a, a palm branch. Okay, it seems a little awkward, weird. <laughs> what do you do with a palm branch? We're not sure. We'll find out. Um, 
So they are, and, and they, they are dressed in white. They are dressed for the occasion. Uh, this is not a day you want to show up in purple or in green or in red or in black. It needs to be white. Why? Because that's how you dress for this occasion. Uh, it's a picture of being pure and holy and being dressed appropriately as we stand before the throne. Um, back in the old days, uh, when I was a kid, many decades ago, um, Easter was a, was a dress-up day, right? You would, you would dress up for the occasion. And I just want to commend Mike Springer, put a tie on. Way to go, Mike. Let's give Mike a hand. At least one person dressed for the occasion, right? But I notice you don't have the jacket, just the tie. So he, okay, so he half-dressed for the occasion. I remember as a kid um, uh, dress, ha- having to dress for the occasion. It was my first like, painful experience wearing a tie and a suit. And I, I was not a fan, as you can see, because I'm, I'm free now. I don't have to, right? So, um, but you would dress for the occasion. And uh, the guys would look spruced up, but the girls would look beautiful. And you'd go, you'd go shopping for the Easter dress, right? And that was a thing. That was something you did. You dressed up for the occasion. So here they are dressed for the occasion in, in pure white robes. Um, and, uh, but really they're not dressed just for the occasion. They're ultimately dressed for the place, heaven. And even more so, they're dressed for the person as they stand before the very presence of God, the very throne of God. Right? It's required that you come clothed in the righteousness of Christ. And these white robes represent coming in the righteousness of Christ. But you cannot come with soiled garments. Uh, you would be kicked out. Right? So they come dressed appropriately, fitting for the one in whose presence they stand. And, and why the palm branch? Well, the palm branch marks it as a, marks it as a festive occasion. Right? It's a, it's a celebration. And just like when Jesus had his triumphal entry, we looked last week, we, we celebrated the, uh, his triumphal entry into Jerusalem, and they waved palm branches, celebrating, crying out, Hosanna, Hosanna. Right? It's a celebration. Um, and so that's the picture here. They are, they are celebrating. Well, what are they celebrating? Well, it says they cry out with a loud voice. Um, and not just so they can be heard, but they are rejoicing. They are celebrating with a loud voice. And they're, they're cheering at the top of their lungs, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. They're cheering and chanting salvation, salvation. Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on our throne and to the on the throne and to the Lamb. Um, it, it is a time and a day and a moment of incredible joy, incredible joy. And and the first re- thing we see is that this joy is rooted first off in their extreme change in circumstances, right? Uh, their extreme change in circumstances. Who are these people? Well, he describes a little bit later. Uh, one of the elders addressed John, who's observing all this and writing it down for us. He said, who are these clothed in white robes and from where have they come? So this elder turns to John and asks him this question. Hey, John, who are these guys? And John's like, so are you, no, don't ask me. I'm just, I'm just taking notes, right? I don't know what's going on here. Um, and so he says, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Who are these people? Ultimately, it's, I believe, all who are saved. Um, this great host of people from every tribe and tongue and language, innumerable, uncountable, millions upon millions, right? And uh, 
two things have changed in their circumstances. First, it says they have come out of the great tribulation. Now, I do believe that at the very end time before Jesus' return, there will be a climax of tribulation. And it is often referred to in Scripture as the great tribulation. Um, but many commentators, and I don't have time to go into all the reasons why this morning, you can ask me later, but, but really, we live in the time of, of tribulation. And Jesus told us that. Right? He said, uh, you will be persecuted. You will, uh, you will be killed. You will pay a price for following me and for your faith. Right? Um, people of all ages, up to, from, from, from the beginning of the church to today, people in every age and area, era, up to today, are dying for their faith, are going to prison for their faith, are being persecuted and harassed and belittled because of their faith, are losing family because of their faith. Right? These are tribulations. And, um, you know, it doesn't matter what era, if it was 1,500 years ago or last week, anybody who's died as a result of their faith does not say, well, I'm glad this wasn't the great tribulation. Right? I'm telling you, if you died for your faith, it's as great a tribulation as it gets. Right? You're not saying, whew, I'm glad I escaped the great tribulation, and I just died in the regular tribulation. No, it's dying is dying, right? And uh, it, it is tribulation, right? It can't be any worse for them, right? Um, now, of course, at the, at the end, it will be worse for more people. <laughs> That's what makes it great. But uh, tribulation is tribulation. For those who suffer, they suffer, right? And, and, uh, and maybe you are not dying for your faith. Maybe you will not be asked to do that. But life is hard. Right? Life is full of many trials and persecutions and temptations and struggles and sin and abuse and hurt and pain. And often, these things are a, du- a direct result of our faith in following Christ. Right? Life is hard for everyone, but following Christ brings on an extra burden and layer of suffering and struggle. And, and so these who are standing before the throne are, are, are standing in the joy of being set free from all of that, right? There is no more suffering. He says later that every uh, God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there will no longer be suffering. There will no longer be pain or hurt. Right? There is an incredible change in circumstances. Right? Life becomes good at a whole other level. Um, Incredible joy of standing before God on that day. Saved. Saved from all the pain and trouble of this life. And, and the truth is, the greater the pain and suffering here and now, the greater the joy then. It is true that maybe the martyrs will have more joy because they do die for their faith. Um, they, they will have the, the, the greatest change of circumstances. But, uh, but all of us suffer. And uh, the greater, uh, the more difficult life is here and now, the greater the joy then. Right? But of course, um, you know, what we want is no pain now. Right? We want to avoid the suffering. But that's part of what we are called to. But the second change in circumstances is more internal. Right? It's not just uh, that their life is free from suffering, but, but we also were changed. Right? They, their, their robes were washed in the blood of the Lamb. 
Uh, and life is not just hard because of external things, but our life is hard because we're corrupt, because we are sinful. Some of my problem I bring on myself because of my own sin nature and my own foolishness that causes me to follow uh, the wrong path. Right? We are all under the curse of sin and death. Uh, we are captives and prisoners of, uh, in bondage to all kinds of things. Um, but uh, we stand there before God washed by the blood of the Lamb. Right? Uh, and even though the robe is pictured as something external, it's really a picture of cleansing from within. Right? Our black and darkened heart is washed white as snow. And we are saved. Right? We have salvation. We are set free from our own sin and from all of its judgment and consequences. Right? Uh, and what a joy it will be on that day. And, and, I, and I think, actually, we don't even know how joyful it will be to be standing before God getting what we don't deserve until that day. Because the, the, the problem right now is we're, we're all way too comfortable with our sin. Right? We don't really see our sin as that big, much of a problem. But when we stand before God and His holiness on that day, um, in the very presence of holy God, uh, He will be overjoyed that we are standing there in the righteousness of Christ. Right? It's interesting, the, the passage right before this, uh, Revelation 6 says this, um, the sky vanished like a scroll. <laughs> Apparently they had pollution, they'll have pollution then too. Uh, uh, and the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone slave and free hid themselves in caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling on the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. Here's the thing. If you don't have those white robes, if you don't stand in the righteousness of Christ, you will not want to go to heaven. Right? You will cry out, hide us from the face of, of holy God. It will be a dreadful and terrible thing that nobody will want. Uh, all of humanity will flee from the presence of God. But we will stand there, uh, like we sang this morning, we come boldly to the throne because we are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Uh, with, with robes washed in the blood of the Lamb. Right? This is the salvation that belongs to God. Right? And, and it's, it's, it's interesting, they, they, they praise God for... Uh, the salvation that is His. Like, why wouldn't they say it's ours? We'll see more about this in a minute. But part of it is that they're acknowledging that, that the power to save belongs to God. But He is the one on the throne and He has authority to save. He has the power to save. And what's most important of all, He has the will to save. Right? He wants to save us. And it was God's will and His plan and His purpose to send Jesus uh, as the sacrifice for our sin. To sacrifice Him on the cross so that we could wash our filthy garments in the blood of the Lamb and make them white and pure. Alright, so, so on that day we will stand before God with eternal joy because our circumstance will change. And it's a change that lasts forever. Okay, This change in circumstances will never wear out. Will never stop. 
will never end. It will never revert back. Right? This is not a Cinderella story where at 12 o'clock you get turned back into what you were before. Right? Praise God, it is a permanent change of circumstance. Second thing, and we're not going to spend a lot of time on this, but just real quickly, quickly uh, we do in heaven receive uh, the gift of an inexhaustibly good life. Okay, so a good life that never wears out, never runs out. And that's really described in, in um, uh, starting at verse 15. Therefore they are before the throne, this crowd are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. So we have full direct access into God's presence, which we do now. Actually, we've talked about that. Uh, but there before him, they will, they will serve him. Um, we will worship God, but somehow we also serve him. And there's, a, there's an incredible joy in serving, in giving. If you haven't figured that one out yet, I urge you to start practicing this one now. Learn the joy of giving, not just taking. There's, a, there's an amazing joy in And the more sacrificial it is, and the more secret it is, the more joy there is in it. There is a joy. Jesus said, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. There was a joy, as painful as the cross was. There was a joy in giving himself up for sin. Um, So so there's that. There's this joy of of meaning in life as we serve him. Uh, It says, and he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. Literally, it's the word tabernacle. He will tabernacle them with his presence. And it points back to the Old Testament tabernacle. Uh, in the Old Testament, the tabernacle was in the midst of them. Now the tabernacle is over us. Right? And he, sh- he shelters them with his very presence. Uh, and that shelter means we are safe. Right? There's never going to be anything that will threaten our life. So there will never be anxiety or worry or fear because there will be no threat to us ever. So this is a cool thing. There will never be COVID in heaven. Praise God, right? Or any other thing. We are sheltered. Um, uh, Then it goes on. It says, and and, um, you know, this 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 one who shelters us. Because of this we shall hunger no more, nor thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. He will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Right? Indeed, we have eternal joy because we have found a new friend. <laughs> a new friend who will never forsake us. And who's the great shepherd who will lead us, who will guide us who will be with us, who will protect us, who will love us, who will lead us to springs of living water. And ultimately, he is that spring, the very fountain of life that never runs dry. Right. So, so in heaven, and we kind of get this, we don't have to talk about this because that's oftentimes what we think of when we think of heaven, is this inexhaustibly good life. Right. The food's better, uh, the drink's even better than cherry limeade. Um, it's just good, right? Uh, we're covered, we're sheltered. Uh, it's a place of, uh, of great delight and satisfaction in very, very material things. Um, of, of never thirsting because we are satisfied with the well of life. But thirdly, lastly, and I, I kind of gave this one its own slide, um, the greatest thing though, the greatest source of eternal joy 
is we have someone to celebrate forever. We have someone to celebrate forever. And this is really a picture of celebrating an incredible victory. What they're celebrating here is is God's salvation, not just their own. And it is his victory. And, And really the deepest joy, and I think this is even true here on earth, I think the deepest, most ecstatic joy that we ever experience um, is delighting in victory, right? Delighting in victory. Uh, the joy that comes when we win. And, you know, we can celebrate many things. We, we celebrate holidays like Easter and Christmas. We celebrate birthdays. We celebrate maybe success in, at work or on the job. Uh, we, we celebrate when we can finally stop working and retire. <laughs> uh, we celebrate things like that. But there's nothing like celebrating victory. Triumph over an, an adversary. And I think the place where we get closest to this experience is kind of in the sports realm. And I think it's why the sports industry is a multi-billion dollar industry all over the world. And from the poorest countries in Africa to the, uh, those, those crazy soccer fans in Europe, um, people love sports. And why do they love sports? Because they like watching their team lose? (laughs) No, because they like when they win, right? They like when they win. And and there's nothing like the joy of celebrating victory. Even when it's just a team, when your team wins, right? Like you weren't on the field playing, but just watching it, just participating with that, there's nothing like that, right? And uh, uh, we, we applaud things. We may say, oh, well done. But I've seen people who would never scream or shout or raise their voice, but when their team wins, they go crazy. I would be one of those people. I'm not usually very excited, but when my team wins, I can go kind of crazy. And it's not just professional sports. Uh, We can experience this even at the most uh, basic levels of sports. One of my favorite memories, when I really experienced this kind of celebration joy, was when I coached uh, a bunch of uh, middle school girls in basketball. And we were in this game where, really high scoring game, I think it was like 8 to 10 or 8 to, no, it was 9 to 10. 9 to 10. Um, middle school, in all fairness, the, the quarters are very short, right? Running clock, you know, it doesn't stop. So um, we were down by one point, And we had just a few seconds left. And somehow there was a foul or we got a timeout. I forget now exactly how it went down. But I was able to call the girls over. And I gave them a plan. And it's like, this has never worked once in practice. <laughs> but maybe it'll work today, right? And so they go out there with just seconds left, a couple of seconds left. And they throw the ball in. And they execute the play perfectly. The right girl gets the ball, throws it up, and it goes in the basket. And boom, now it's whatever... You know, we're up by one, and the buzzer sounds. And I'm telling you, I just went crazy. I just went, and the girls went crazy, right? And there was no money. There was no, this was not, you know, uh, college basketball, Final Four. I mean, this is, but it was so exciting, and there was this joy in winning. Well, um, you know, these, these, this crowd is at the throne, and they're shouting with a loud, loud voice. And they're not saying, praise God, I am saved. I mean, there's praise in that. There's a change of circumstance, right? They're not saying, praise God, that my life is good from here on out. Right? That's not what they shout. What do they shout? 
Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. You can substitute the word there, victory. It has the same meaning. Victory belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Who conquered sin and death by sending the Lamb to die for us and to shed His blood for us. Right? It is ultimately His victory, not ours. It is His salvation. We, are the benef- we, we benefit from it immensely. But in the end, it is God's victory for all of time and history over evil and Satan and sin and death. And in the, in the act of sending His Son and in Jesus shedding His blood for us, there is triumph for all eternity over every e- evil, over Satan and the worst things anybody can come up. It is answered finally and completely in the death of Christ and the shedding of His blood. And that's what, they, that's what we, because we're in this crowd, that's what we celebrate. We celebrate the God who is on the throne, who is victorious through the Lamb who died. Right? This great cheer of celebration. Um, Paul says something similar in Ephesians 2. He says, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That's amazing. So not only is Jesus risen and seated in heaven, we are seated there with Him even now uh, in some level. But why? So that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Right? Someday... Uh, you know, we're going to celebrate our salvation, but even more, we're going to celebrate the incredible, immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness toward us. Right? It magnifies God. Look at how awesome He is. His kindness and His grace towards worthless, undeserving sinners who He saved through the blood of Christ. second thing we see here is it's incredibly contagious. Um, th- there's nothing like celebrating... Uh, with friends, right? Uh, nothing worse than watching uh, your favorite team win, win, and you're all by yourself. <laughs> you, you, you shout out, but it's kind of empty, right? If there's just one friend, it's better, right? Two is better than one. And I would say that the ten is better than two. And how much better is uh, 300 than ten? Like, there's nothing like going to a world championship game and sitting in the stands with 80,000 people and, and, and seeing that winning goal, right? Uh, that's exciting. There's something about the, the energy of the crowd. Well, imagine what it is going to like, be like on that day, worshiping with millions upon millions who celebrate uh, the God who is on the throne and the Lamb. It is going to be uh, mind-blowing worship as we join our voices together. I know uh, back many years ago I had the opportunity to go to a Promise Keepers event, if you remember Promise Keepers. And it was amazing because there was 70,000 men filling this stadium, Mile High Stadium, worshiping together. Uh, so powerful. And that is just a glimpse of, uh, of what we will experience in heaven. And it's so contagious that not only do the 
people in the white robes worship, but it says, and all the angels standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, they fell on their faces before the throne and they worshiped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Right? Now these are people, these are beings that spend their, their, their time in God's presence. They will, will be kind of awed by the whole scene, but this is like everyday life for them. Right? They're not awed by it, necessarily. Well, they probably are, but they're used to it. But this is new. Right? When they hear us worshiping, it blows them away. And they cry out, Amen! Amen! Glory to God! And they worship Him in praise. Um, it is contagious. Right? But, but most importantly, the last thing we've got to finish with, we'll close with this, is, is the focus is, is ultimately on, on God's salvation. You know, we talk a lot about worshiping God, and He is worthy of worship just because of His character, because of His being. And in so many ways, he is, he is worthy of worship. But ultimately, the worship of heaven goes even beyond just the character and being of God. And, and as we see uh, Jesus, and in fact, through the whole book of Revelation, when we come to the throne room, uh, Jesus um, is both the lion and the lamb. But how He's described over and over again repeatedly is the Lamb. Is the Lamb. Right? He is the King of glory. And He sits and He reigns on the throne as the King of glory over all things. But in heaven we behold Him as the Lamb. Right? The, the Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. The picture of Jesus as the one who gave His life for us and shed His blood for us will, will never fade. And it will be the great cause of our worship for all eternity. Right? They're not saying, holy is God. That's what the angel said before. Holy, holy, holy. Right? No, what they are worshiping is the salvation of God. Right? The salvation of God. That will fill our worship for all eternity. It will drive us and motivate us and, and bring us to our knees and praise and worship for all eternity when we see the incredible gift of His salvation. Right? Those 46 things we read this morning are just the beginning uh, of the wonders we will celebrate right? as we celebrate Jesus, the Lamb of God, and the Father who sent Him. Right? And it will be powerful. Best thing of all, though, you know, a lot of the joys of heaven we will have to wait for. The exhaustively good life, you're not going to get that here. Sorry. Uh, for those of you who are believing in a prosperity gospel, good luck with that. I hope that works out for you. Um, I'm thinking life's going to disprove that at many turns. Right? Uh, God never promised an inexhaustibly good life here. Right? We have to wait on that one. Uh, the, the permanent change of circumstances that we long for in heaven, we got to wait for. But the good news is this. Celebrating joyfully God's salvation in Christ is something we can do today. Amen? And we can do it with the same joy and wonder that, that we will before the very throne of God. So I'm going to ask the, the band, uh, Nathan and the team, to come up. And we're going to do just that. We are going to celebrate 
with joy the salvation of God. The Lamb and the blood that was shed for us, right, to purchase our salvation. And just to get us in the, the spirit of it, uh, let's just shout together, or at least say loudly, uh, these words, right? Uh, repeat after me. Salvation belongs to our God. Salvation belongs to our God. Who sits on the throne. And to the Lamb. You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org.